Welcome on board Flight 4123 to New York. Our aircraft is under the command of Captain Green. He's informed me that our flying time will be approximately three and one-half hours. While we're here to ensure that you do have a comfortable trip with us today, we are concerned about your safety. With that in mind, we ask you to take the safety information card out of your seat pocket in front of you and follow along as we perform our safety demonstration. Anybody falling asleep yet? Anybody reaching for the magazine that you normally reach for when that starts going on on the plane as you completely ignore whatever they're about to say after that? Here's a different one. Just part of it. Hello and welcome to Alaska, Alaska Flight 438 to Portland. If you're going to Portland, you're in the right place. If you're not going to Portland, you're about to have a really long evening. In the event of loss of cabin pressure, these baggy things will drop down over your head. You stick it over your nose and mouth like the flight attendant is doing right now. The bag won't inflate, but there's oxygen, I promise. If you are sitting next to a small child, or someone who's acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. If you're traveling with two or more children, please take a moment to decide now which one is your favorite. <laughs> Help that one first, and then just work your way down. <laughs> in the seat pocket in front of you is a pamphlet about the safety features of this plane. I usually use it as a fan. It makes a very good fan, and it has pretty pictures in it. Please take it out and play with it now. There is no smoking in the cabin on this flight. There is also no smoking in the lavatories. If we see smoke coming out of the lavatories, we will assume you are on fire and put you out. This is a free service. There are two smoking sections on this flight, one outside each wing exit. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. This was done on an Alaska flight a while back, and Southwest does some of these kinds of things. You know, how is it that you take something that we've all heard who knows how many times that we ignore, that we go do something else, and, and at least get attention for it? especially when it's something that actually is significant. I mean, the safety information on a flight actually is important. Um, for me, this hit home um, on a flight that we took from Los Angeles, California to Bakersfield, California. We're on one of these small little charter planes and hit some huge turbulence. To the point that Aaron and I were both, I mean, we were ready to wet our pants. It was bad. And that plane was just, and you know what? The next plane I got on, I listened to the safety message. Because there was a moment that made me recognize how significant it could be, even though I had heard it, who knows how many times, and basically I'd stopped listening to it. But we're going to, study this morning, I think is a passage that has been heard so many times. And it has a lot of parallels to that stewardess giving a warning to the people on the plane that I think mentally, when we hear this kind of passage that we've heard so many times, that we are kind of ready to check out and start thinking about, hmm, wonder which game is on first today. Um, wonder what's going, when I get home, the lunch I've got to take care of, or, oh, that thing that I've forgotten. And it's just easy to check out because it's really, really familiar. And yet, this passage 
is like that stewardess reading the safety features of this airplane. Because here's what I can guarantee you. If the plane you're on begins to go down, you will really want to know those safety features. At that point, you're going to want to know what to do. This is that significant. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word, please open our hearts, our minds, our souls. Lord, speak deeply to us wherever we are right now. Help us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Um, if you would, go ahead and take out your Bible and turn to Luke or Matthew 16. Um, I want to set the stage. Every time you study scripture, context is significant. What came before, what comes after, it's important to understand what it is you're reading right then. And in this case, it is especially significant. And so in a short amount of time, like a minute or two, I want to review what we've already covered for the last two weeks. Because it is so important to understand what's happening today that you get what he was doing. This is what we've talked about. You just kind of keep your Bibles there. We'll grab them in just a second. Beginning of Matthew 16, the Pharisees demand a sign. And Jesus gets rather upset with them. He calls them an evil and perverse generation and says, I'm not giving you a sign. And then he takes off. And as he's going, he's with his disciples and they're on a boat. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And his disciples are so freaked out by not having any food that they completely miss what he's talking about. They start getting all freaked out about food. And, and he goes, you have little faith. They get to the other side. And when you get to that point, what we know is that the Pharisees don't get him. The disciples don't get him and the crowds don't get him. And so he takes his own and he goes 25 miles north to Caesarea Philippi. And he gets his disciples and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they start going, well, this and this and this. And he goes, now stop. Who do you say that I am? Do you actually know who I am? Because what's happened is without acknowledging him as the one, they can't move forward. They're trying to do it in their own strength. They're trying to do their own plans. And Peter steps up and says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's awesome. And he, and he lays out the plan for him. Here's what we're going to do. But as he lays out the plan, Peter goes, wait a minute. And he actually has the nerve to pull Jesus aside and to start rebuking him and say, you can't do it like that. That's where we are. That's what's happened. And what's very intriguing to me, go ahead and look at Matthew 16. Um, go to verse 23. It's right before our passage, verse 23. And it leads into what we're talking about. Verse 23, but he turned. Um, here's the image that you get. It's Peter grabs the arm of Jesus and he starts moving him away from everybody else. And while he's moving him away, he's rebuking him. You can't do this. It can't happen in this way. This will never happen to you. In fact, I am praying for your soul. He's pulling him away. He stops. Jesus turns to Peter 
and everybody else. And he says, get behind me. Now, this is a physical thing as well as a spiritual reality. What Peter has just done is taken the lead. Peter has just, a moment ago, he's going, you are the Messiah. And now he's taking the Messiah by the hand and pulling him along in front. And Jesus has to turn and say, get behind me. And as he looks at everybody else, he says this, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I used to read this differently. And the reason I read it differently is because I wasn't reading the whole thing. This is how I used to read it. This was the emphasis for me. If anybody would come after me, the invitation to all people, it's open to everybody. Come. If anybody would want to come. I don't at all think that's what he's doing right now. Number one, because he's talking to his own in this passage. He doesn't have to re-invite them. I don't think at all this is an invitation. This is a warning. This is a calling out of his own. This is if anyone, including you, rock, he just called Peter the rock. I'm going to build the church on you. Even you, even you 11 over there that have been following me around. If anybody wants to follow me, you need to do these things. This This is what I believe is happening. I have a small demonstration for you. This is a pumpkin spice latte, which is Starbucks' number one seller of seasonal beverages. This is peaches and cream oatmeal. This is natural lemonade crystal light. And this is berry blue. It's a blueberry mixed uh, berries. Got pictures up there. Strawberries mixed gelatin. All of these things have something in common. I know they don't quite look like it unless you want to say sugar. Although no, this one doesn't. But um, all of them have something in common. Something really, really significant. An ingredient. Actually, it's a lack of ingredient. This has no pumpkin in it at all. This has no lemon in it at all. This has no peaches in it. This, no blueberries, no strawberries, no berry of any kind. A main ingredient that this thing is claiming to be, it's not in the box. There is somebody I ran across, and I learned this from. Um, I'm not smart enough to go figure all this out on my own. But I went, and I, and I found this interview with somebody called the Food Babe. <laughs> you can go to her website, foodbabe.com. And, and you kind of laugh at that, and, and it is, because it's kind of funny. But you know what? She started a blog in 2011. Listen to this. 2011 for family and friends. She has since, in the last three years, she has caused General Mills, Kraft, Chick-fil-A, Subway, 
She's now get, Starbucks is making a change to this because of her. <laughs> this girl has now been on like all of these news talk shows and she's met Michelle Obama. And I mean, all because this is what she does. She goes in and she looks at products and she finds ingredients, either that in this case aren't actually there or things that are harmful. And she's causing people to change. I think this is what Jesus is doing with his own right now. You say you're my disciples. You are saying you have peaches. You are saying you have lemonade, whatever you've got pumpkin in you. I'm about to call you out in the same way that the food babe called out Starbucks. I am about to tell you what it really means to be my disciple. And if you want to follow, this is what I'm asking for. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your pedigree is. I don't care how long you've been following. This is what I'm looking for. That's what this passage is. These will be for sale after the message. So what is he looking for? Verse 24, three things. This is what he says. Three things to all of his disciples, all of us here, everybody all over the world. Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, number one, take up his cross, number two, and follow me. Those three things. That's what I'm looking for. That's what is actual fruit in the box. That's what makes a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And I want to spend most of our time just talking about those three things. What does that mean? Um, what does it mean to deny oneself? What does it mean to take up a cross? I mean, was he actually asking them to all go grab the, you, what would happen is you'd actually just have the cross beam, go grab the cross beam and start walking around with him. He didn't even have one right now. Um, what's he, what is he talking about? Number one, deny oneself. I want to, I want you to hear what it's not first. Hey, this is not you making yourself miserable. It's not that kind of denial. This isn't Jesus saying, okay, everybody here, just go torture yourself. Figure out whatever you really like and then don't do that. Um, just go do things you don't like. I want you to be miserable. That's really what I'm all about. That's my plan. That's not his plan. Hey, that's not deny yourself. Nor is it a simple deny myself a one particular action or moment. Hey, it's bigger than all of that. This is deny one's self. Deny one's own will. This is, what are your plans for your life? Will you deny yourself those? What is your dream? Would you deny yourself that? Because there's another side. Take up the cross. This is not, hey, let me just talk about the cross for a moment. Um, for us, we might say something like, come put your head in the noose. Come lay your head on the chopping block. Um, 
we might, I mean, I actually tried to do this, but I couldn't find one in time. I was thinking about getting an electric chair necklace and wearing it this morning to get the point across. I mean, this, this is beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We have lots and lots of beautiful crosses. They were anything but beautiful. This was a torturous, shameful, awful, disgusting way to die. And for him to say to his own, you have to take up the cross. I can imagine them all going, what? That, I, I don't even know where to start with that. What you would have with somebody taking up a cross is they would have a cross beam off and it would be that part of the cross that the hands would be nailed to and you would take that and put it on your shoulders and you would walk your own crucifixion, your own execution instruments to the place that they would nail you to it. And then you would get there, they'd lay you on the ground and they would bang nails into you. And then hook that on another beam and put you up there naked in front of everybody. And by the way, most crosses were not these really tall things that you would see. They were shorter. Because it was part of crucifixion it wasn't just death. Otherwise, they'd just kill you. It was about shame and torture. And so they would have you where you'd be walking by people and they wouldn't be that high off the ground. Some of them you'd be able to look into the eyes. And they're just strapped to this thing. Until eventually they can't breathe anymore and they will asphyxiate and die. It was awful. And here's Jesus telling his own. Deny your will and take up the cross. What is he talking about? Turn to Matthew 26. This is what he means. Matthew chapter 26. Go to verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said, now listen, this is Jesus. Hey, this is the guy who's like always in control. My soul is very sorrowful even to death what he is getting ready to go through. It's so bad that he tells his own, my soul is hurting to the point that I want to die. This is going to be so bad. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right there, you just witnessed deny yourself and take up the cross before he ever actually took up the cross. What he just did is he said, Father, this is the worst thing I can possibly imagine what I'm about to go through. I don't want to go through it. My will is not to do what I'm about to do. Nevertheless, I will deny myself and I will take up your will. Nevertheless, I will do this. It's your will. Taking up the cross is an expression that refers to 
the most extreme thing that Jesus would do to follow the will of the Father. And it's exactly what he's asking from all of his disciples. Will you, as he is in the garden, say, I will deny my will and I will take up yours? Whatever that is, no matter how far out there it is, no matter how extreme it is, no matter what it may cost me, I will deny my will and I will take up yours. That's him in the garden. That's what he's calling us to. Peter, here's Peter's. Peter's will is not for Jesus to be silent and betrayed and died. Peter's will, along with the rest of the disciples, as far as we can tell, is to march on Rome, to take them over. We're going to conquer. We've got the most powerful person in the universe. We're going to take this thing over. Peter, deny your will the way you want to do this. Your plan for conquering the Romans and go at it my way which is to be betrayed and to be crucified. Paul, Paul had a will. His will was to go after everybody who was blaspheming Yahweh. Paul's will was to hunt down Christians and to bring them back for trial. And Jesus came along and said, Paul, I want you to do a 180. I want you not only to stop persecuting them, I want you to give up being a Pharisee and everything associated with that. And I want you to go preach me. I want you to, in fact, become the one, the Jew who is going to bring me to the Gentiles. That's my will for your life. Will you deny yourself and take up my will for your life? That's what he's asking. By the way, I know this is hard because this is what I think I can say. If you knew 100% what his will was for you this afternoon. Here's a dumb example. Your will is to go to Taco Bell. That would be dumb. His will (laughs) is for you to go to a pizza place. I'm sure that if God showed up to you and said, I want you to go to the pizza place instead of the taco place, you'd be like, all right, I will give up Taco Bell and I will go have pizza. Because you said it, I am sure that would work. The problem is, how often are you struggling with what is his will? I mean, you could sit here and you could even say, "I, I think I'd be willing to do that, at least at times. But I'm not sure what it is. I don't know what he wants from me. Hey, if that's you, you're not alone. And I want to tell you two ways right now to find his will. Number one, it's right here. And I don't mean this as a joke. We use this when it comes to finding the will of God. We use it like we do that safety information packet in the airline. Do you know he says this? Be constant in prayer. He means that as a lifestyle. He means that is his will for our lives. Now, he's not telling you this. Um, At least he may be telling you individually. He's not generally telling us as a congregation, give up television. But he is saying, be constant in prayer. 
And that may mean for you, if you're actually going to sacrifice your will to his, that may mean I'm going to watch less television so that I can pray. Do you know that in here it says don't grumble or complain? For some of you, that's a lifestyle. Don't deny it. He is saying don't grumble or complain. That's his will for your life. That is sacrificing your will which is for me to complain about a whole bunch of things all the time and to mumble under my breath and instead to pray for the people that are persecuting me. Instead, to pray to the Lord and say, God, I need more trust in you because I can't give this up. Sacrificing your will to his. But here's the other one. And I know this is what most of us actually mean when we say we're looking for God's will. What we mean is, do I take this job? Or not? I'm not sure about it. Do I move here or not? I'm not sure about that. Do I put my kid in this school or not? I'm not sure about that. That's typically what we're referring to. Please don't minimize this though. Because this is a lifestyle he's wanting from you. But there is this other thing. How do we find his will? You deny yourself and you take it up. Here's what I mean. You find his will first, not through his will, but by denying your own. By coming to him in this mindset, God, I am, I am literally ready to give up whatever. I am ready to go wherever. I'm ready for your will. And to keep doing that over and over and over again. And I guarantee you, he will start revealing his will to you. This church, this was not our plan. I mean, really, this was not our plan. Right? To like go out, neither my wife or I, this is not really us. Right? We like the security. We were ready to like go maybe take over another church. We were ready to stay at our old church. But to like just say, okay, a few families come with us. Let's go start a church. But we prayed and we prayed and we really did. And we don't do this all the time. But in this moment, we really were to point saying, God, whatever you want, I will give up my dreams. I will give up my comfort because I want what you want. And he slowly started to answer a little at a time. But if you had told me even a year ago that we'd be even in this facility, I'd have said, I have no idea. I don't know what God's doing. Little by little. But that mindset, if you will come to him and say, God, I am ready. I'm going to deny myself. I want your will more than I want mine. He will start to reveal himself to you. And it may take a week or a month. It may be a moment where he just gives you enough to move you forward. But he will start to reveal himself to you. However, I can almost guarantee you this. I can almost guarantee you he will not lay the plan out. I can almost guarantee you he's not going to go, all right, point A to point Z, and everything in between is exactly what's going to happen to you over the next however long. Right? Because he doesn't usually work that way. I think he wants us to continue to trust him through a process. 
I think he wants us to continue to have to lean into him for what we're doing. And so he just doesn't reveal the whole thing. And that is why number three is follow. Because you don't know how to get to Z. What he's probably going to tell you is Jesus is walking to Z and here's B. Follow, just follow, keep going right after him. I mean, Peter, Peter didn't get all the details that how he was going to build the church and all the things that God was going to use him for. Paul, Paul didn't get all the details. He got a direction. After that, it was get behind me. That same language he said to Peter, get behind me and follow, follow me. Maybe um, when you were younger, your, your parent or mom, usually it's a mom, um, may have said something like this to you, especially if you were a boy. Um, you went and you did something dumb, and you did that dumb thing because your friend Jimmy did that dumb thing. And so mom says, well, if Jimmy jumps off a bridge, are you just going to jump off the bridge too? My mom never got me. Of course not. I'm going to jump further than Jimmy did. My mom never got boys in general. This was not about doing the same thing. It was about beating them. It was taking the next step. Because I can tell you that if Jimmy was going to play in the street, I was going to play on an interstate. If he was going to jump his bike over a trash can, I was going to jump over a car while it was moving toward me. And I'm pretty sure that's also why God gave me boys. I think it was like boy one, boy two, boom. You're going to know what your mom went through. My poor wife has to deal with that too, though. Which I don't think it's fair. If Jimmy jumps off a bridge, will you jump off too? I hope not. But if Jesus does, jump off the bridge. Don't even look. Just jump off the bridge. Because if he did it, you can do it. I mean, this follow thing, this is a key to us actually living out the will. It's moving one step to the next step to the next step, following after him. Deny my will, take up his will, and then just follow. Even if all he gives me is, all right, take the step. There we go. All right, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. No matter how weird or radical or odd, or I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow. Follow after Here's why. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it, his life for my sake will find it. Um, in other words, he's not saying go out and try again. Don't go torture yourself. Don't go try and make life bad. Don't go try to ruin your life. Right? It's really important, this last part, for my sake. If you try to guard your life. If you try to guard your dreams, your will at the expense of what he's calling you to, ultimately you will lose everything. If you will give up those things now for his sake, you will gain life. Keep going for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I mean, 
what if, just for sake of argument, you became as rich as Bill Gates, but you have no spiritual life and you have no eternity? What does it matter? Truly. You could have a ton of fun right now, but fulfillment and more importantly, eternity If we could compare the amount of time we live right now to the amount of time that eternity is, honestly, what do you gain? And even more so, he keeps going, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Do you know how much your soul is worth? You don't have anything you can give for it. You have nothing of comparable value. There's nothing you can give to gain your own soul. This is a number I gave my wife yesterday. See if anybody can get this number. Five, four, two, eight, nine, zero, 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 zero. Fifty-four trillion, two hundred and eighty-nine billion. That is the world's debt right now. At least as of this morning, there's a debt clock. You can go to theeconomist.com. You can see the debt clock. $54 trillion. America has about 33% of that. Now, if you went around and you looked at all the cash, just hard cash, we have about $1.3 trillion dollars. We don't have enough cash to actually pay our debt. Even if we wanted to. Our debt is so much higher than the actual amount of money we have. Your soul cannot be paid for by anything you have. It takes Jesus. So, why should you give up everything? Why should you follow his will instead of your will? It is the only way you're going to find life. And I mean that now and in eternity. There is a life that Jesus offers people here, the abundant life, he calls it in John. We won't do an entire sermon on that right now because it'd be really, really late when you got out. But there's an entire thing about abundant life that he offers right now. You cannot get that outside of him. But there is also an eternity and you cannot get that outside of him. And then he says this last thing to them. Verse 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The way you live your life will matter. And here's his evidence. Verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. This is a foretaste. If you keep going into chapter 17, you're going to have the transfiguration where he is going to come glorified. And a few of his disciples standing right there with him right now are going to see this. It's like a foretaste. I'm not kidding you guys. When I say that I'm coming, when I'm saying this is going to happen, let me give you just a, a glimpse of it. And they see the glorified Jesus standing on a mountain. Because it's real. This whole second coming of Christ is real. What he can do in your life right now is real. The desires that he has for you right now are real. And if you want life, 
now and in eternity. If you want a life that is truly significant, which is everything we've been talking about for three weeks, what Jesus says is this, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny your will, take up the will of my father and then start marching right after me. When uh, the Alaskan flight landed, this is what the uh, lady said to them. Welcome to the Portland International Airport. Sorry about that bumpy landing. It's not the fault of the captain. It's not the co-pilot's fault. It's the ass fault. (laughs) And she kept going. Um, Please remain seated until the plane is parked at the gates. At no time in history has a passenger beaten a plane to the gate, so don't even try. Please be careful opening the overhead bins because shift happens. (laughs) Puns are just so awful. (laughs) At no time in history has has anyone beaten the plane to the gate. This is not easy. It's going to take some patience. There's going to be some frustration. There will be times, like if you've ever sat on a plane while you're waiting for it to go and you're just, you're going to have some of those moments. But if you will start from deny my will, take up his will and follow you will see what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you first denied yourself. You came to serve us. You came and washed your disciples' feet. You came and took abuse. You came and died on a Roman cross. You first denied yourself and took up your father's will. Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to leave this morning desiring, eager, willing to place our wills at the foot of the cross and to take up the Father's and to march after you, Lord Jesus. For your honor and glory. Amen.